0: Welcome to The Church Podcast. Today, you will hear a message that will leave you inspired, encouraged, and equipped to impact your world for God. Now, let's join Pastor Jim in this week's message.
1: Pull out your message notes, out of your service maps. You know, we create these so that you will continue to grow. We want you to have a fun atmosphere here at the church. We love to create an environment where there's lots of laughter and joy. And, but more than that, if that's all we've created, I would think that we've failed. What we want to do is we want to create a great environment for each and every one of us to grow in our walk with God. And the message notes are a great way for you to really let the information and the word of God bring transformation in your life. And so I encourage you uh, when you walk in, you may not want a service map. Some of you have been coming for a long time to the church. You don't want one. But grab the message notes that you know that you're five times more likely to remember something when you write it down. So even if you never look at it again, the fact that you wrote it down, you're more likely to remember it. So uh, how many keep in these notes? Does anybody have like a pile of these? You're like, man, that is good stuff. And uh, it's a great reference uh, material. So keep that and work through them with us. So pulling out your message notes, we're in the middle of a series entitled Four Cups. Now, we've been talking about the four core promises that God has for our lives as people. Now, God's made lots of promises. In fact, there's over 3,000 promises in God's Word for you. However, there are four main promises, four big promises that God has for your life. And when we started this series, the first week was just a general overview of these promises in our life, And so we gave you just a general overview. Pastor Jeremy Steiner did an amazing job and really laid the foundation. And then Dr. Philip Brassfield came in. And if you remember the second part of the series, he talked about Jesus, our Passover lamb. And the reason that's important for you to know in our series, and if you weren't here, you need to go back and listen to it, is because all of these promises hinge on Jesus. It's not a self-helps book. It's the promise that's given to us because of the sacrifice of God sending his only son who lived a perfect life as the lamb being led to the slaughter to pay the price of sin which is death. And it's because he was the Lamb of God that was slain for us, and not that he stayed dead, but he rose again, that we can take hold of the promises of God for our lives. So that's an important understanding that it all hinges on Jesus. I mean, no, he's the center of all of it. I can get a better amen than that. Amen. And so then last week we began to detail out the promises. I talked about the first promise. The Cup of Sanctification and Salvation. And if you missed it, go back and listen to the podcast. In my opinion, it was probably one of the best messages I've ever preached, ever. Clearest message about salvation and how to partake of the first promise of God. Now, God's promises, his four cups, his four main promises, have been around for more than 3,500 years So for 3,500 years, God has had these promises that he wants us as a people to live out in our lives, and we find them in Exodus chapter 6, and I want to just start here and kind of re-declare these promises and catch people up that weren't here last week. And so Exodus chapter 6, it's the story of Moses, and we're going to go quickly through it. This is where we begin to see the promises. It's the first place. Uh, where we see the promises and what God wants to do in our lives. In verse 6, he says, Therefore say to the Israelites, Jewish people call this the four I wills. I told you that last week, uh, that I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So the very first thing that God wants to do, the first promise he wants you to live out is salvation. He wants to get you out from underneath the yoke of slavery and of bondage. And the second thing he says after he gets you out is that he says, I will free you from being slaves to them. So someone would say, well, that's a little confusing. It seems like the same thing. Well, the first one, he actually got the Israelites out of Egypt. The second promise is he wants to get Egypt out of us. So what does that mean? He wants you to stop thinking like a slave. He wants you to stop acting like a slave. There's, There's these things on the inside that though you're out of the actual slavery, you've got to get that heart of slavery out of you. And then the third promise, and that's what we're going to talk about today, but the third promise, he says, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgments. Now, redeem means to put you back to your original intent. So one of God's core promises is that he wants to put you back into the way that he created you. So this is what I know. He wants to show you your purpose. He wants you to know why you exist on this earth. Eighty-seven percent of people that live in this earth have no idea why they exist. So you could be going to heaven, maybe even walking in freedom, but you don't know why God put you on this earth. Well, one of God's core promises is he wants you to know why you exist on this earth. And then the last I will, the last promise is, he says, I'll take you as my own people. So notice here that the promises before were about you, you, and you. And the last one, he says, I'll take you as my people. And what we see is this, the ultimate fulfillment of your life is not that it's all about you, but it's all about living in community with other people as you make an eternal difference. That God created you in such a way, with such purpose, that you weren't intended just to have a good life, but yes, you have a great life with people as you change the world. And that's the ultimate fulfillment of our lives as Christians and the four core promises. But I love this. He goes on to say this. He says, and I will be your God and then. I love this. So it's almost like I'll be your God. We're going to walk you through these promises. And then he says, then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Let me say it like this. It's only then that you know what real Christianity is all about. It's only then that you can experience what God meant for it to be, to to live a fulfilled life on this earth, and it's only then that I believe the world looks at the church and says, I want what you've got. See, my challenge is this, and as a pastor, I don't think people reject God and Christianity, not real Christianity, not really an experience with God. They rejected a false sense of Christianity that's not walking through the promises of God. But I believe there's a church in Rosenberg, Texas, that God has us on this spiritual journey that as we walk through the four promises of God, as we discover the four promises, then what happens is your friends and family say, my God, you've been going there for about a year or maybe six months or three months. And, and, you know, I've been to church my whole life, but you've changed more in six months than i changed my whole life. Why? Because you've discovered the promises of God for your life. And it's only then that they will know that God is real. No religion, all relationship. And that's our job today is I want you to understand the four things that God wants for your life. And that's what it's all about. So write these down. This is a simple form of what those promises detail. And the first one is this. The Jewish people call it the cup of sanctification. We would say salvation. So the first promise of God is salvation. Salvation. He just wants to pull you out. Remember I told you, you don't have to do anything. You didn't have to clean yourself up. How many are glad that you didn't have to clean yourself up to come to God? Salvation's just about God bringing you out. The second cup is the cup of deliverance. And a simple way that you can know that is he wants you to experience freedom. So God wants to save you. Then he wants to deliver you out of your bondage and have you experience the freedom, get Egypt out of you, which then leads to the third cup, which is the cup of redemption, or we would say restoration. So God wants to put you back to your original intent. God wants you to know why you exist and to help you understand the purpose with which he made you for. And all of that leads to this, which is the final cup, the cup of praise, or what we would say is fulfillment. God's ultimate plan is to take you on a spiritual journey. And this is what I know. We've got to understand whether you think you're on a journey or not, you're on a journey. The challenge is some of you got stuck in your journey. Someone say, well, I don't even know God. Yeah, but you're in a journey because something inside of you brought you here. And even if you're not here in the church, if you're out in the world, there's the the spirit man on the inside of you that you're always longing for something. What is that? You're on a journey. The challenge is you're just on the wrong journey. And as your pastor, as your shepherd, I want to put you on the right journey. So that at the end of our lives, we say, God, you did everything you wanted in me, and then you did everything you wanted through me. I would hate to get to heaven and say, well, at least I made it to heaven. I didn't do what he wanted me to do. I didn't experience the freedom. But no, I want to make it to heaven. How many want to hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servants? And so it's my job as your pastor to lead you on this journey. It's our job as your church to help you experience this process. And so I like to say it like this. Really, I'm just a tour guide. I'm trying to help guide you through this process. And and I just want you to know this, just, just... just take a deep breath. I don't have it all together. (laughs) If you're looking for a perfect pastor, you came to the wrong place. Uh, You know, I I just let myself off the hook a long time ago. How many are glad that I'm not perfect? I struggle just like you. And uh, I just want you to know this, that this is my commitment. Though I am in the process like you, my commitment is not to be perfect. I'll never be perfect. My commitment is to never stop the journey. My commitment is that tomorrow I'm going to be better than I am today, and today I'm better than I was yesterday. So why don't we all take this journey and just say, listen, we're all going to get a little better, and we're all going to do what God wants us to do as we continue to move forward in this journey. I'm just a shepherd leading. I'm a guide just leading you. So today I want to talk about the second promise, and we're going to spend just a few moments on the second promise that God has for our lives. Now, I want you to understand the distinction Between the first promise and the second promise, it's really important that you know the difference. Last week, I know some of you might have gasped when I said, God doesn't want you to change. He doesn't need you to be a good person. He don't need you to be religious. That first promise is all about God. And the reason it is is because we've got to know that salvation is by God's grace and that salvation is easy for us. He paid the price for salvation. Are you with me? So you got to know this because what will happen is when you become a little bit religious, you will think that I had to work for salvation. No, salvation is a gift. There's nothing that you could do. It's not about you being good enough, smart enough, repenting enough, praying enough, being a good enough person. No, no. Salvation is all about the hand of God touching your heart. You got to know that. And then I'm going to talk about why is that important to know. But let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And you know, I I get this, sometimes people say, well, pastor, we had 70 people last weekend that were born again, and and I've had critical people think, well, can you really believe 70 people were ready? Is it that easy? I've had people say, are you sure you're not watering down the gospel? Let me tell you this, I am absolutely 100% sure it's that easy. Let me show you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And this is why it's important for you to never mix the two promises of God. It says God saved you by his, everybody say it, by his grace when you believed. We had 70 people last weekend say, you know what, I believe. He made it that simple. Salvation is that simple. It's about believing. Then he goes on, he says this, "And and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Isn't that the beautiful thing? That's what I'm telling you. He paid the price. Jesus lived a sinless life, died a cruel death, rose again. He paid the price so that he could give you the greatest gift. That's why salvation is not about your works. It's about his gift that he gives to you by grace when we believe. It says salvation is not a reward. Salvation is not a reward. Salvation is not a reward. Listen to me. It's not a reward because you're good enough. It's not because you dressed yourself up and you said enough amens and hallelujahs. No, no, it's not a reward for the good things that you've done. And he goes on, he says, so none of us can boast about it. Now, I know some of you say, well, time out, Pastor. Listen, the Bible talks an awful lot about works. You know, there's this grace and there's this works and... You're absolutely right, he does, and I'm going to talk about works today, but we as believers, as Christians, we've got to make sure that we don't mix those two up. You're not saved by works, you're saved by grace, and it's a gift from God so that nobody will ever boast. It's all because of who God is, it's a free gift. So the thing is this, you were saved in an instant. Last weekend, many of you believed for the very first time, and there was something on the inside of you. Nobody had to force you or cause you to to think differently, act differently. There was something inside. When you believed, it was in a moment's notice. However, (laughs) there is a lifetime of transformation. So this is where the work begins. In Philippians, he says it like this, after you're saved. He's talking about after salvation. He says, work hard. Work hard. Somebody like, I don't want to work hard. No, Christianity is hard work. You got to love people that you don't want to love. You got to do things you don't want to do. Why? Because of this, he says this, to show the results of your salvation, that obeying God with deep reverence and fear. So here what he's talking about is there is a result to salvation. So you don't do good things to be saved, but when you're saved, it produces good works. Someone says, well, I don't know if I, if I really believe. Well, if you really believe, there ought to be some proof in the pudding. There ought to be some things that take place in your life. There are works that take place after we believe, and that's part of the second cup. And he goes on and he says this, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you. How mean, know it's good to have God working in you? So I love the fact that it's a new process, so you're born again, God starts to work in you, he's changing you, salvation happens in an instant, but there's a process, and the process is what we're talking about with the second promise, that there is a working on the inside, and he goes in and he says this, I love it, giving you, so who's giving you this? God is giving you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So think about this, last weekend, and many of you who have experienced it, you believed in God. The moment you left church, you thought, I'm not going to listen to that anymore. I'm not going to go hang out with those people anymore. I'm not going to do what I was doing before. And what happened was the Holy Spirit of God, who's on the inside of you now, the moment that you believed, he started to give you his desires. I didn't have to tell you to stop doing the bad things that you feel like you're doing. That's the beautiful thing about authentic Christianity. I'm not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does a lot better job of convicting you than I do condemning you. And so he gives us this desire. And along with that desire, thank God it's not just desire, but it's the power to respond to his desire so that we change in our life. So it's God's job to give us the desire and the power. But let me tell you like this, it's your job to do it. That's the hard work. That's where the cup two comes in. It's just, listen, you may have thought, I'm not going to listen to that anymore because God's given you the desire. But if you got in your car and you listened to that same stuff or you did the same things, he gave you the desire, but you didn't act out on his power. So do you see how God's presence, not that you didn't have a real experience, it's that you're not responding to the power and the desire that he has placed inside of you. Now, let me explain why this happens. Why does it work this way? And I think it's important for you to know, because we're a triune being. We are body, soul, and spirit. We're body, soul, and spirit. So the body part is what you see. So you see my body. Now, my body has some issues. Does anybody's body have a few issues? You know, so I'm I'm not a spring chicken. I'm about 38, so I'm kind of in the middle right now. I you know, there's some issues and some challenges, and, you know, my body has some desires. My body likes food. <laughs> my body likes chocolate chip muffins. My body likes to sleep in late. My body likes to lay around and lounge around lethargically as often as I possibly can. Anybody's bodies act like that. See, but you got to know this. The body wants to do what makes the body feel good. And this is where we have to be careful. A person who lives to feed the appetites of the body lives a reckless life, reckless life. So I say it like this, you can be born again, but yet your body dictates how you live. So here's the second part. So you have a body, you have a soul. And so here in our soul, this is our mind and our will and our emotions And uh, we've got to know that this sometimes can tend to cause us to live our lives emotionally. Anybody know someone that lives in the emotion, like they're an emotional basket case? Not that anybody in here would be like that. You know, maybe they think a lot and someone says, hey, you need to stop thinking and start getting it into your heart. So it's this mind and this intellect and this, this will and these emotions. And you've got to know that if you're living your life led by the soul, you will live a reckless life. But the third part, this is the most important, and this is why we have the struggles, is that God gave us a spirit. And not only did He give us a spirit, you are a spirit. The Bible says that you were made in the image of God in his likeness, you were formed, you were fashioned. God is a spirit, you are a spirit and so this is the part of us that lives forever. When we die, our spirit lives in eternity forever and so we've got to recognize this because last weekend or any time in your life when you believed, God made your spirit alive and brand new and so the sins of the past that you performed and that you did, God has expunged those sins. So listen, it's not like he kind of dry erased it or tried to erase it out and you can still see some of the marks. You are brand new. So you say, yeah, but I did bad things last week. If you believe right now, you are brand new because your spirit is new. That's why Paul could stand up and say, I've wronged nobody. Well, what are you talking about, Paul? You martyred people. You persecuted Christians. You've done a lot of bad things. But Paul could boldly declare, I stand before you as an innocent man having done nothing. Why? Because his spirit, who he was, was brand new. So I don't care about what you did yesterday. I don't care about what you did last week. I don't care about the sins you performed. When you believed, thank God you are brand new. And I don't care what people say about you you got to say, yep, nope, that was the old man, I'm not like that anymore, now I am made brand new, I am perfect, and you've got to know that, because the only way you can spend time in God's presence is for you to be perfect. He's a holy God, and that perfection is inside of us as spirit, but the challenge, and here lies the challenge, and so salvation from cup one makes us brand new in our spirit, but the challenge is this. Cup two is where we learn to not be dominated by the body or the soul, but we learn to live dominated by the spirit. So this is what I know. Some of you in here, you had a born again experience last weekend, but your body has been in control so long, you didn't do any of the things God put on the inside of you because you've been living a body led life. Some of us in here, you've been living emotionally or in your head, and you were born again, and so now you're like, well, I don't even know if it's real. No, it's real. The problem is you've been living your life led by the soul for so long, you have suppressed what God is speaking to you in your spirit. So the key is this from cup two. The secret is you want to make sure God let my spirit dominate my body and my soul, and that God's life would be so evident inside of you You tell your body, shut up. You want to sleep, but it's time to get up and pray. Your body's like, no, I'm tired. Your spirit says, I don't care if you're tired, get your lazy butt up right now. How many of you have ever had just have a conversation with yourself? Maybe I'm just crazy. I tell my stuff all kind of stuff. Just chill out, calm down, get your butt up. You need to get up. And so you talk to your body. You can talk out loud, you can talk inside. But what is happening is that your spirit man is telling the body, I'm not going to let you lead this life anymore. I'm brand new. I'm perfect. I'm born again. And now today I'm going to live my spirit-led life. You see that revelation? And so, here at the church, one of the things that we have done is we've created dozens of small groups that help us to live out our life filled with freedom. And one in particular, which I want you to be aware of, we have five of them right now. They're life small groups. We call them life. I'm leading one, Phyllis and I. We have 11 people in it, there are four others. We have about 55 to 60 people going through these life small groups right now. Now, what does life mean? It means living in freedom every day. And so why is that important? Because the life small groups specifically, they help you to close the door of the body and the soul and help you to ignite your spirit so that you live a spirit-led life. So it helps you to systematically close the door of the past. I mean, you know, just because you were born again today, you still deal with the wounds of the past. You still deal with the consequences of the sins of the past. It's not like it all goes away, though you're perfect. So now you have to walk through closing the door of the body, closing the door of the soul, so that your spirit is alive and leading you in this life. We call those life small groups. And so I want to actually give you three focuses of these life small groups. And the reason I would do that is because they are strategically designed to walk you through the three things you need to walk through to experience the freedom of cup two. Isn't that awesome? We have a system and a process to help you walk through it. The first one you're taking notes, you need to write it down, is this. It helps to focus on teaching you or giving you victory over sin. Victory over sin. So ultimately, God wants you to be free. He wants you to have victory over sin. And the way I define sin is like this. It's what you do to yourself. You didn't need a devil to get you there. You didn't need a mean person to do something to you. You didn't need to have a tragedy. This is something that you do to yourself. What do you mean? It's bad choices you've made. It's the addictions in your life. It's the bondage that is in your life because of you. And that's what we just call sin. And so here we know that God in this cup, the cup of freedom, he wants you to have victory over sin. You're not supposed to live in that bondage all your life. And the apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 7, and I love Paul that he's so transparent. I think he would preach like me, just being open and honest. I appreciate it because sometimes you put people up on a pedestal and you say, man, Paul was perfect. No, no, Paul wrestled with stuff. Paul had issues Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody got issues? You may not want to nod, you know. Your husband's like, I don't know, but my wife says I got issues. So, so you know, I, I, we all have issues. And so Paul had issues. Let's read what he says. He says, so I find this law at work, that although I want to do good, he's talking about the spirit man. So he's been born again. He's saying, although I want to do good, well, what wants to do good? The spirit he said, evil is right there with me. What's evil? He's talking about your body and your soul right there with you trying to influence this journey that God has you on. He says, for my inner being, I delight in God's law. Well, that's the spirit. Uh, your body and soul don't typically delight in that, but w- when you are born again, you, you hear the word of God and you just delight in it. That's why you love coming to church. Like, man, God feed me. So he's talking about the spirit of men. He says, but I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. How many have ever felt like a wreck? You're like, man, I'm just just a hot mess. Any hot messes in here? You're like, man, I'm just messed up, jacked up. I got all kinds of hurts, habits, and hangups. Well, listen, so did Paul. Welcome to the club. Let's just be real and work through them. I can get a better amen than that. That's all right. Amen. Thanks be to God who delivers. Oh, he says, I wretched man. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then, so he's asking a question. He's going to answer it. He says, thanks be to God who delivers. So what is he talking about delivers? That's the cup of deliverance. It's the second part of the promise of God. He says, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we need to take this step, God give me victory over sin. The second thing that we need to address and we actually address in the life small groups is healing from our wounds, healing from our wounds. So if sin is what I do to myself, wounds would be defined as what others do to me, what others do to me. So it wasn't your fault. Some of you are sitting in here today, you were abused, maybe you were abused mentally, Maybe you were abused physically. Maybe you were abused sexually as a child. And the reality is there was someone that violated you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. Someone violated you, they inflicted a wound upon you, and even if it wasn't abuse from a family member, maybe it's at a job or it was in school, you were bullied. Things happened in your life that began to inflict wounds on you and in you that begin to cause you to live in the bondage of slavery. God never intended for you to dwell on the wounds that others inflict on you. When people live like that, what happens is they live their life as a victim. Listen, you cannot make people treat you well, but you can respond to the way people treat you. And I know this, that there should be no victim mentalities in the church. When you live as a victim, what happens is you stay stuck. You're going to heaven. God has saved you, but you never worked through healing of the wounds that others inflicted on you, and so you're stuck. And that's exactly what the devil would love. Listen, he can't keep you from going to heaven, but he can try to keep you from living the life God's called you to live on earth. So some of you have felt that way. You feel stuck. You're like, man, I, I'm all messed up on the inside, and there's things that, that I haven't been able to work through. And you've got to let the healing of God work through you. Ephesians says this: as the devil, he's looking for a foothold. It says, and don't let sin, and don't sin by getting or letting anger control you. So he's trying to make you mad. Think about this: the devil just wants you mad at what others have done to you, the injustices of the world. Uh, he knows that if you get mad, let me just tell you this, he can control you. He says, don't let the sun go down while you're angry, for anger gives a foothold to the." Now, let me tell you, some people say, pastor, you know, I, I'm talking to some people that, that don't go to church, and, you know, some of the things I hear from this, I don't even know if I believe in the devil. You know, and so they they believe in different things, but maybe not. This is what I know you ain't got to believe in gravity. You just go try to walk off a building and let's see what happens. You say, I don't believe in it. Well, go jump off the building. (laughs) Believe or not, what's going to happen? You're going to fall. Same is true with the devil. You say, well, I don't believe in the devil. Is, is he really real? Yeah, yeah, he's real. And if you don't believe in him, that just allows him to attack you even more. And I know this. The word of God says he has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. The moment God gave you the cup of salvation, when you were born again, you have been on hit list Uh, Number one, the devil is out to get you. He's going to try to kill and destroy and steal all that God has done. Now, the beautiful thing is this. My angels are bigger than the devil. Thank God. And you just can't be afraid of it. But at the same time, that's what leads us to the third third part of this promise is that you need to have authority over the enemy. So it's not good enough to have victory over your sin. It's not good enough just to be healed from your wounds. But you really have to walk in the authority over the enemy. And God has authority over the enemy. So you have authority over the enemy. The question is, are you walking in that authority? And saying, okay, God, I know that you've already got control, that you have dominion, that you have the authority. How do I walk in it? Well, we'll talk about that in the life small groups, but you need to know that it is absolutely critical that you walk in that authority. Ephesians chapter six, verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Thank God he's not dead. He's not in a grave. He's alive and well and has mighty power. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggles are not against flesh and blood. You don't fight those people that have said bad things to you. You don't fight people that have hurt you or brought injustice into your life. We fight the spirits that dominate those people's lives. And against rulers and against authorities of powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. So, I want you to just know the devil's real, the enemy's real. You need to know that. So, the question that I'm asking this morning if I'm you, I'm saying, how do I find freedom? How do I drink from this cup, Pastor? So I'm understanding the things that God wants us to experience, victory over sin, that he wants us to have healing from our wounds and authority over the enemy. But how is it that I drink from this cup? Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 says this. So now there is no, say that with me, condemnation. Say it again. Condemnation. So if you're going to let shame and embarrassment keep you stuck You'll be walking in what he's saying, don't walk in, no condemnation. So I believe this here at the church, one of the things we have worked hard to do is to create an environment where people are not judged. You can come in however you are. You know, I don't care what you look like, you can be high. If you're going to be high, come be high in the presence of God. Don't let me see it, don't smoke it in here, but I want you to come just like you are and there is no condemnation. How many know that God convicts, not condemns? And so we create an atmosphere where not only do we not condemn you, but you need to make sure that you don't condemn yourself. Oh, what I did was so bad, God will never forgive me. No, He's already paid the price to forgive you. So you've got to drink from this cup, say there's no condemnation. You say, Well, I have issues. Let me tell you again, I have issues just like you. We all have issues. Welcome to the Issues Club. There's no condemnation, and then he goes on, he says this, for those who belong to Christ Jesus, that if you've been looking, and and I just want to say this, if you've been looking for a perfect church, you found the wrong place. Uh, You know, we're not a perfect church, I'm not a perfect pastor, but I do know this, is that we're trying to all make sure that we have a great hospital, you know, that together we can live in this hospital and we say, listen, in this hospital all I know is that we can get better, that we don't have to stay where we were, but as we live in this hospital that God calls the church, that I'm better today than I was yesterday, I'll be better tomorrow than I am today, and that together we're going to be on this journey. And, and I'll just tell you this, let me just, I've taken the pressure off of me, I don't have it all figured out. We have great teams of people that help lead this church, and I'm thankful that I don't have it all figured. You know, I'm not perfect, but I do promise you this, that I'm not going to stay where I am. That together, I'm going to lead you on this journey. We're going to walk in this journey. We're going to be better each and every week, each and every year, each and every uh, day. So the next part, he says, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you. So here he's talking about the cup of deliverance, freedom from the power that leads to sin and death. And then he goes on to verse 5 and he says this, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, so you're a Christian, but you seem to be dominated by the things that are sinful in your life, they're dominating you. He says, you think about sinful things, so you're dominated by the sin nature Here Paul is talking about, he said, now the reason is because you're thinking about sinful things. So in essence, what he's doing is he's identifying the problem. Then he goes on, he says, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think. They think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind, let me just say it like this, keeps you stuck. And He says it like this, it leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So that's how we get into cup two. And the reason I believe we stay stuck for many of us is because we walk in condemnation, whether condemnation from others or self-condemnation. We walk in that condemnation and uh, we, we have issues. But the reality is this, we never elevate our thinking to get out of those issues. And so he talks here that the, 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 the thought life dominated by the sinful things does sinful things. So you never change the influences around you. And as a pastor, this is what my question is, what has the most control over your thought life? As a person, what has the most control over my thought life? Now, I've been doing this for a long time, and this is what I've come to know and believe, and it's backed up in the Word, is this. The thing that really determines your thought life more than anything else is really... Your relationships. How many have ever been around people and you're like, man, I'm trying to get out? But as long as you hang out with those people, you keep doing what those people are doing. Have you ever heard the old average, show me your friends and I'll show you your destiny? Well, why is that that way? Because the people in that circle, they think a certain way, they talk a certain way, they act a certain way. So then it begins to frame the, the fabric of your thoughts, your actions, and your life. And so to drink from cup two, what we have to do is we have to change our associations. So we have to change our associations. So uh, when we say that, you need to write it down. This is what we're saying. Relationships are the key. Relationships are the key. Now, I'm not telling you not to be friends with people that don't go to church. You better have friends that people don't go to church. That's how we reach the lost. But you shouldn't gather and garner the life's. Thoughts for you from friends that are not filled with the spirit and the power of God. Why? Because you'll think like them. And when you think like them, you're going to stay in the bondage that they're in. So to elevate your thinking, you got to get around people that will elevate your life. Proverbs 28 says it like this. And I want to show you what I'm talking about. It says, he who conceals his sins. So this is what, what it means to us. Who sit here and we'd say, you know, I, I'm not gonna tell anybody about my struggles. You know, they'll just judge me. I'm not gonna share my sins or what I'm dealing with or the issues of my heart, so you conceal it within yourself. He says, This does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So there's a confession. Now, some of you may be saying, now, Pastor, he's talking about confessing to God right there, and you may be taking that out of context. I don't think he's talking about talking to people. My question to you is, are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure. Let me show you 1 John chapter 1.9. I want you to see this, because I think for so long, we've justified our isolation with thinking everything comes from God. Here he shows us different. First 1 John 1, 1.9, he says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So I like to say it like this. God takes care of what you did, but God doesn't take care of you not doing it again. So every time you sin, you go to God and you repent. You say, God, I'm sorry for this. You tell him what it is that you did. You say, God, I repent and thank God through his mercy and his grace, he what? He forgives us. But then it's, he doesn't make sure you don't do it again. If that were the case, you would never deal with that that you repented about ever. Let me show you this, the next verse, James chapter 5, verse 16. He says, therefore confess your sins to, oh my gosh. So this means you have to be vulnerable. This means you have to find a safe church. This means you have to find a safe place of people Where now, God, you've forgiven me, but this is my question. When I'm reading that, I'm thinking, God, I confess my sin to one another. We pray for each other, but why? This is the why. He says, that you may be be healed. And this is what I know. Some people say, well, pastor, I've been going to church my whole life. I've never felt the healing that I heard you talk about. My next question would be, what group are you a part of where you're authentic, where you're real, that you can have face-to-face conversations with people? It'd be like me and Jose sitting down, and I'd come to Jose and say, listen, Jose, and I do this in my life group. We meet every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, and where's my life group? Are they in here? They're serving. they like, woo-woo! Lord, and all these guys, I'm a transparent, and one of the guys said, Pastor, I didn't know you were going to be so real. Well, if I can't be real in this life group, where can I be real? I may lead you, but I need to experience healing. And the way we do that is in the context of relationships. So I go to Jose and I say, Jose, you know, I've been struggling with this. So-and-so hurt me. I'm dealing with this issue. I'm dealing with this sin. I'm dealing with these areas in my life. Man, no condemnation. Don't judge me. Just love me. Jose says, Pastor, I love you. I'm here for you. In fact, I'm here for you because I want you to be a better Pastor. And so I want you to experience that. And and then Jose says, listen, I'm going to pray for you. So he prays for me. We ask God to take it away. But not only does he pray for me, he says, listen, pastor, I'm going to hold you accountable. You said you need to go apologize to a few people. Now, pastor, when are you going to do that? Are you going to do that Tuesday or Thursday. And then you can just call me right after you've apologized to him, and we'll talk about how good or bad you did. But I'm here to hold you accountable to see that you've done the thing that you needed to do to take the next step in this journey of life. Why? Because I need to walk in healing. And so my concern is this. I wonder if there's people here today, you don't have those relationships. If relationships are the key, the devil wants you to live isolated. Alone, all by yourself in your safe little bubble. And let me tell you this relationships are messy, relationships are tough. People will let you down, but just because someone lets you down, don't mean you stop having relationships. You just go find some new friends. Why? Because you and I have to experience healing. Why? Because God has us in this journey of life. Don't stay with cup one, the cup of salvation. We say, God, I need your freedom. I need your freedom. Well, God, you forgave me. You saved me. Now you use people to bring healing into my life. So important. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to close a little bit differently than normal. Normally, we'd go right into um, just a prayer, and I'm going to pray. But I really want to give you three steps that you can take to change your association. And I'll, I'll say them real quickly. Steve, you guys can come. The first one, because remember, we're declaring a new association 70 of you last week have a new association in your life, and many more. We've had over 580 professions of faith in two years. And you guys who have made that profession of faith, now you need to declare your new association. Well, how do you do it? The first practical thing you do is you get water baptized, water baptized. So baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is not church membership. Baptism is a public declaration of a new association. The greatest example I could ever give and uh, tell you about, I I was in Haiti three weeks after the earthquake, and I think it was 2009 or whenever it was. And I'll never forget, you know, Port-au-Prince was closed, and so we flew in on a road. The UN blocked off a road. There were seven of us. And we flew in, and uh, we stayed in, I think it was Laogon, And so, truthfully, it was the epicenter of the earthquake. This is the place that actually got hit the hardest. But Port-au-Prince is more well-known, so it got the most coverage. So this city had no real help. Everybody was in Port-au-Prince. I remember we got on the campus in such devastation and destruction, and though we are sad about that, and though we we mourn the loss of life, what most people don't know is that in that season, there were more saved and born-again in that moment than in the history of that nation. Why? Because people were looking for answers. They had been following the majority of the religion is through witchcraft. And as the story goes that one of the presidents sold his soul to the devil, and the devil has controlled that area through witchcraft and sacrifice. It's a very dark place. But I tell you that to tell you this, I never saw anything so wonderful as I did in that place. It was Sunday, and many had come to know God, and it was about 200 of them, and we go off into the, the road, and they say, hey, we're going to do a baptism. Well, you know, in America, baptism is, hey, come stand on this thing. We're going to dunk you. All right, woo, I'm baptized. You know, that's, that's our culture, and it's a wonderful culture. We're going to do it today after service, but there it was different. They lined the road. There were 200 people, 200 Haitians, and they were dancing and just singing and worshiping. Now, I didn't know what they're saying, but you know, they're just singing and And, you know, I'm like, what do they do? And they said, well, today they declare to their village that they turn their back on witchcraft and have turned to God. And the guy said, it's a big deal because from this moment on, they're going to be ostracized. From this moment on, they will never be looked at the same because they're not like the others. They are now following God who most people reject. And so there was this public demonstration and declaration. They changed their association. So listen, when you begin to take the steps, you need to change your association through a public declaration. Baptism doesn't save you any more than a ring marries you. A ring is just a symbol and a declaration that I'm in a covenant with my wife. So you need to be baptized. And and some of you, and we live in the South, you were baptized as a child. I want to tell you this, baptism really when we see it in the scripture is post-decision. So I'm going to give you a few verses to show that. So you believe and then you're baptized. So if you were baptized as a child, but then maybe believed later on in life, I encourage you to think about being water baptized, maybe even today. Here's a few verses. Acts shows, it says, Acts 2.41, those who accepted his message were baptized. So what happened is they accepted the message and then they're baptized. The next verse in Acts, he says, but the, but when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news, so they're born again of the kingdom of God, it says, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So it was after they heard the good news, after they believed, they were baptized, and then Simon himself believed and was baptized. And you can go countless verses in scriptures, and so the pattern is we believe Therefore, we're baptized. Why? Because we're changing our association and we're making a public declaration. The second thing is this. You need to join a church. You need to really pray about church membership. This is what I know. There are dozens of great churches all in this region. You just need to pick one. Now, our desire is you found a great church. Right? So hopefully this is the church. We, we do this through Church 101. It's growth track. Happens the first Sunday of every month. Why do I need to do it? Because you're changing your associations. You're saying, now I associate with the body of Christ and I am a member of the body of Christ. And so we encourage you to join us through church membership. And then the third thing is small groups. I've already talked about small groups. We have dozens of small groups happening now. In fact, 51% of our church is in a small group right now. 51% of our church. Why? Because they're walking through freedom. So this is what I would encourage you. We're going to start another semester in about four weeks. I would encourage you to jump in. In August and September, we're going to do life small groups. Join one of those. Join a small group and find a new group of people that will help you change the way you think. Amen? Bow your heads. Let me pray over you. Father, I thank you for what you're doing today. I thank you for the words that have been spoken in our lives. God, I thank you. For the transformation. God, we've taken part of cup one of salvation. Lord, this morning, thank you for revealing the second promise that you have for us. The cup of deliverance and freedom. And God, I pray that today there was an illumination of the heart. There was an illumination of the mind. Lord, people realized, aha, here's the epiphany. I've been stuck, but I don't want to stay there. And God, I'm praying right now that your power and your desire would illuminate their heart, that you would fill them up. And God, where they've had their body in charge or where they've had their soul in charge, that from this moment on, you're gonna release your power to let their spirit lead their spirit-led life. Lord, that they would join a group of people and some, I, I know right now, they've been wounded by church. God, I pray your healing would flow through them right now. God, hurtful things have been said. Hurtful things have been done. There's been rejection. Lord, I pray right now that you would begin that process of healing. Lord, that they found a safe place. Not a perfect place, but a safe place. And that together we're going to walk through this journey of life, feeling and experiencing your freedom in our lives.
0: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you have a story to share of how God has been working in your life, please send us an email at info at ilovethechurch.tv. We invite you to check out the church's Facebook page and don't forget to like us. You can also follow the church on Twitter at twitter.com slash me And if you are in the Rosenberg area, we invite you to be our guest this Sunday morning. Finally, if you would like to make a donation to the church, you can give online at www.ilovethechurch.tv. We invite you to listen again next week. Until then, have a blessed week.